Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams, and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well, plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. Buzz around artificial intelligence is seemingly everywhere. Is your portfolio keeping up? Consider the Global X Artificial Intelligence and Technology ETF, ticker AIQ, which invests in dozens of stocks at the leading edge of this disruption. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Technology companies can be affected by rapid product obsolescence and intense industry competition. Before investing, carefully consider the fund's objectives, risks, charges, expenses, and more in the full or summary prospectus at globalxetfs.com. Read carefully. Distributed by SEI Investments Distribution Co. And welcome to this edition of Between the Lines, the podcast that deciphers the handwriting, unfolds faded pages, and dips into the details of diaries, logbooks, and letters written during this same week, there or thereabouts, in 1943, some 80 years ago. Let's start with a quick recap of the situation. All too often we hear the phrase, this was a turning point in the Second World War. Well, don't worry, I'm not about to argue that the invasion of Sicily was pivotal, but this week does have its moments. The battle for Munda Point begins on New Georgia. Mussolini has resigned. The US Joint Chiefs of Staff have just voted to invade the Gilbert Islands, and the five-month-long Battle of the Ruhr ends in Allied victory. This is the week that Bomber Command directs 2,355 sorties, over Hamburg in three huge nighttime raids, and the US Air Force aligned another 235 daylight sorties to press home the attack. In Operation Gomorrah, the combination of 1,000 tonnes of incendiary bombs and many, many tinder-dry buildings creates a horrendous firestorm. More than 40,000 people are killed in and around Hamburg. Most of them die of carbon monoxide poisoning. The flames could be seen 100 miles away and Germany's largest city was devastated. It was a catastrophe for Germany and for Hitler and the Nazi regime. To put it into perspective, around 500 people died in the Luftwaffe's raid on Coventry in November 1940. Also this week in Britain, the government announced that women under the age of 50 must register for war work. We'll once again check in with Via Hodgson first, keeping up to date with her diary in Notting Hill Gate. As we found out last week, when she's not engaged in social work, Via spends much of her time listening to the radio and picking up news about the Allies' progress in Italy. Sunday, 25th of July. The announcer's voice became very solemn on the 1pm news on Monday when he said that Rome had been bombed. Much for and against this has been discussed. The observer says that since it is crammed with war materials, it simply had to be bombed. Send the bill in to Mussolini, I say. The Pope tried to get it declared an open city. The pilots were specially trained not to hit the churches, but San Lorenzo Fiore La Mura is badly damaged. It is one of the four great basilicas. A terrible warning to the Italians, though such a basilica is not so valuable to me architecturally as Canterbury or Milan Cathedral. 
But it is a terrible step to take to bombs this ancient city, which has been the head of civilization for so many centuries. All the week, good news from Sicily has continued. Delicious stories of the friendliness of the Sicilians. They are the strangest enemies. Do nothing but offer oranges and melons to the troops. However, Palermo has fallen. One correspondent writes that he had dreamed of receiving such a welcome in Oslo or Athens, but not Palermo. It was like the entry of Charles II into London after the Restoration. The ladies in their best frocks at the windows throwing flowers to the soldiers, who bowed and received kisses galore. What a spectacle. Let's move east now to join Major General Griswold. It's useful to remind ourselves this is unbelievably hostile terrain. There are no convenient road networks on these small South Pacific islands. In fact, one of the 43rd Division's priorities is to ship a number of armoured bulldozers in so they can build two-lane roads to connect the various regiments in play, often pulling salvaged steel from wrecked landing craft to fashion protective cages for the bulldozers. With the roads constructed, the supply lines become far more efficient, making it easier to pull goods up, move men, and keep food and ammunition much closer to the infantry who so badly need it. 25th July, 1943. The coordinated attack started on time. Fighting is bitter indeed. We're paying a price for every foot of ground taken. The enemy fights until he dies. We had some initial advances, but due to poor leadership or lack of aggressiveness of General Hester, the enemy reacted and drove us back to our starting line on the left of the line. I'm afraid Hester is too nice for a battle soldier. He is sick and all in. Tonight I am requesting his relief from the division. I'm very much disappointed in our gaining. We have heavily lost all along the line today. 26th July, 1943. A bitter fight. On 31st July, John Hester left. General Fodge is now commanding the 43rd Division. On August 1st, we started to gain more ground. General Harmon was present August 2nd, 3rd, and 4th. On the night of the 4th, we have almost forced the enemy back into the sea. Many Japs were killed. Artillery, infantry, mortar, flamethrowers, tanks, all were used. Our loss is high, but enemy loss is more. A quick check-in on RSM Jack Ward now with the 56th Heavy Regiment. Short and to the point as always, but with a hint of a move on the horizon. 27th of July. So, Musso has gone. Great news. Think that Italy will pack up any time now. Think that we'll soon be on the move now too. Going to practice camp on Saturday unless something turns up for me. Received a batch of papers today. 29th of July. Arriving in Italy. Packing up soon. We are now getting ready to move. Practice camp off. Italy, I think, at least I hope so. 29th of July. Arriving in Italy. Packing up soon. We're now getting ready to move. Practice camp off. I think, at least, I hope so. Received air letters yesterday from Mum and Michael. I'm writing today. It must feel as though nothing's happening at the moment. Incidentally, it's well worth picking up copies of Spike Milligan's memoirs. They do, of course, cover this period in detail, as the 56th Heavy Regiment was his unit too. Get a copy of Rommel, Gunner Who, 
which covers the time in North Africa, and then Mussolini, his part in my downfall, and the very short Monty, his part in my victory. Leaving North Africa for a moment, though, let's rejoin Corporal Harry Wilson, who's attached to three core signals over at HQ Palestine Command. Monday 26th, excitement this evening. There was a rumour that Mussolini had fled to Spain and his place taken by Marshal Bardolio. The general comment here was, saves us a lot of trouble. Tuesday 27th, a queue for papers this morning. Something's happened to Mussolini, all right. One report says he's in prison. Badoglio is in control under the supreme command of the king. Anti-fascist demonstrations in Milan and Turin and German troops in Italy are confined to barracks. The BBC is urging Italy to accept unconditional surrender and the Pope is believed to be using all his influence to persuade the new Italian government to do so. I hope the Italians remember now what Churchill told them in 1940 before they declared this stupid boastful war in England. He had entreated them. Is it too late to stop a river of blood from flowing between the British and the Italian peoples? If you so decree it, then it must be so. I beg of you to believe that it is in no spirit of weakness or for fear that I make this solemn appeal which will remain on record. Hark unto it. I beseech you, in all honour and respect before the dread signal is given, it will never be given by us. Wednesday 28. Churchill spoke yesterday about Mussolini's downfall. The house heard of it with satisfaction, he said. He desired honourable peace with Italy, but recommended the Italians should be allowed to stew in their own juice for a while. Danny Hay, MG operator, posted to 9th Army Brigade, New operator coming in this place. Joe Blackburn promoted to full corporal. He deserves us. Thursday 29th. Moroccan radio states the Pope is suing for peace on behalf of the Italian government. Algiers has it that Musso has arrived in Spain. General Eisenhower has been given full powers to deal with any Italian capitulation. We need to take a quick break. We'll be back with more from Between the Lines in just a moment. I'm Anthony Scaramucci, former White House Director of Communications and Wall Street financier. And I'm Katty Kaye, US Special Correspondent for BBC Studios. I've been covering American politics for almost three decades. Welcome to The Rest is Politics US, brought to you by Goalhanger. Go on, tell us, were those donations you made, like Obama in 2008, was that idealism? Were you hoping to get something out of these campaigns that would serve your own business interests, for example? So I think this will either make this podcast incredibly successful, Caddy, or people <laughs> will be horrified and they'll shut it off right now because I'm going to be very real with you. The Obama donation, I had gone to law school with President Obama. We were not classmates. I was a few years ahead of him. It was 2007. He was then Senator Obama. I had a check in my breast pocket. I went over to the senator. I said, Senator, I said, you and I didn't really know each other in law school, but I'm about to hand you a big check. Can I lie to my friends and tell them that you and I knew each other in law school? <laughs> well, Obama looks at me, had the best smile in American politics since Jack Kennedy. Forever. Yeah. He lights up. He looks at me and says, I'll tell you what, if you double the amount of the check, we'll take it back to Hawaii. Okay. And I looked at him. I said, you're done. I had another check in my pocket. I ripped it up. 
I doubled the amount of the check. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've been to more White House Christmas parties during the Obama administration than the Trump administration. In this pivotal year for the United States, democracy and world affairs, Britain's biggest podcast, The Rest is Politics, is launching stateside. Uncovering secrets from inside the Biden and Trump inner circles and how they shape the world's most important economy, but also the global economy too. New episodes are released every Friday morning. Just search The Rest is Politics US wherever you get your podcasts. Let's check in now with Captain Bertie Packer and find out what's happening with the crew of HMS Warspite. Unfortunately, it seems as though the men are temporarily out of action, but not for the reasons we might expect in wartime. I'll give you a quick spoiler. The ship is in temporary quarantine because two seamen have been diagnosed with infantile paralysis. It's not a very common term. Today, we refer to this as polio. Here's Bertie. Saturday, 24th of July. During the last week, we have been anchored at Marseschlock, and for the first time since taking command, I have been able to get around the ship. A big air raid on the Grand Harbour one night, and air raid alarms two other nights. Hot but beautiful sunny weather, and we sail and swim, and yesterday had a cricket match against the RAF. We are in modified quarantine, however, with two cases of infantile paralysis. The ship's company are getting restless about mails, too, none for over a month. The Yanks now in Palermo, but the 8th Army still held up in front of Catania. Two more subs sunk. This makes eight or ten since the assault started. Very heavy barrage over Grand Harbour. Threat from limpeteers all the time. They come along underwater and stick explosives on your bottom. Keep on dropping explosives into the water to frighten them away. There's not a moment's rest now for Colonel Dr. Wilhelm Maus in 14 Panzerkorps. I found it interesting this week that, even though he saw action in the First World War, we get a sense Dr. Maus often sees himself as being slightly detached from the troops around him. From a military view, he says, I can see that our resistance cannot hold forever. Perhaps that's a natural emotional detachment from his work. What he cannot ignore, though, is the huge losses being incurred on Sicily over the last couple of weeks. There are some hard-hitting statistics here. Here's Mouse. 25th July 1943. The Americans have gradually occupied the western part of the island. They marched into Palermo with a lot of Razza Matras. The Italian Supreme Command is willing, but what can they do when the troops do not cooperate? However, I believe our troops will solve the problem for them. Now and then, one can even now see the German aircraft in the air. They take part in the ground battles. This will not reduce the enemy's air superiority, but it will have an effect. I must stay positive. I have ordered a platoon to set up in San Pietro. I'll go to the Italian medical commander of the island myself tomorrow and demand an unused hospital for him. 26 July 1943. If ever there was time to remain calm, it is now. Our troops are in heavy battle. The opposition's area supremacy makes it hard for us. The sea also makes it possible for them to land behind our backs at any time and to retreat if needs be. But this morning, a huge surprise. 
Mussolini has stepped back. The king has taken over command and now Marshal Bagolli is head of government. But what does this mean? Is Italy at an end or does it want to get out? Will they stab us in the back? There is a big question mark over everything. Our thoughts go towards the future. Let us trust that everything will turn out positively. God protect our German fatherland. 28th July 1943. Very active enemy aerial activity. This constant buzzing in the sky is unpleasant. And as soon as 20 to 30 spitfires get tired, hurricanes or large bombers approach, we see damped fuel of our own machines, even though they do intervene in the battle. Over and over and over again, one sees the whole troops moving back with concern for their weapons, only for their personal gear. Deprobo. These people are just not fighting a war anymore. 29 July 1943. The English and the American continuously get small successes in the central sector of 15 Panzer General Division. They get behind our lines with small units. They're being led through the mountains by the Sicilians via bypasses, which is easier as we do not have a line there. We are constantly being forced to retreat. Damn this war. From a military view, I can see that our resistance cannot hold forever. Sicily will be given up, that is clear. Supply troops are no longer needed here. I'm also considering what will be needed to evacuate the wounded. For this purpose, I ordered all the visional doctors to join me tomorrow. I am certain we will manage. Somehow. 30th July 1943. Unfortunately, medical needs have to take a back seat. Again. In a long meeting with the divisional doctors, I discussed the essential questions of a medical care and the eventual surrender of Sicily. I was not popular. However, I was able to free up two units for immediate crossing to the mainland. I'll keep most ambulances on the island, apart from those that have some kind of damage. These can be repaired on the other side and will stay there. The operation will start right now. Otherwise, we do not know very much more. The fascist party seems to have been dissolved. Mussolini is supposed to be in Germany. Enemy reports peaks of strike in northern Italy. There is talk about a Brenner Pass being blocked. In our battle section, the pressure against the central section continues. And the moment 15th Panzergeneral Division bears the main burden of battle. 31st July 1943. We now have a tally for the losses in Sicily since 10th July 1943. They are extensive. 921 fatalities, including 41 officers. 2,950 wounded, including 86 officers, and 2,669 missing in action. 5,850 wounded and six soldiers have passed through Krankensamstelle Messina up to today. But I should not become desperate about Germany's entire situation. At the moment, we are just a small group, but Germany still stands. She is great and will not be thrown from the face of the earth by the loss of Italy. While we are not dead or captured, we will not give up hope. If you'd been wondering what happened to Lieutenant Heinz Nocker, well, he's been on sick leave for a couple of weeks, nursing a bullet wound to his hand. 
This week, however, he's definitely back in action and more than making up for an absence of words on the page, he's terribly excited about getting back up into the air, although he's not in a 109 straight away. The Messerschmitt Typhoon that he mentions, the BF-108, was mainly a personnel carrier. It's one of Willy Messerschmitt's lesser-known aeroplanes, fitted with an inverted 90-degree air-cooled V8, the same configuration as the 109, and the same relatively low stall speed. In fact, to be honest, the main difference between the two was the cannons and carrying capability. But let's not dwell on technicalities. Let's hear from Heinz. July 25th, 1943. I have a sort of leather shield that protects the bandage on my right hand, and I can fly again with the help of a looped strap attached to the control stick. I've put in a lot of flying during the last few days in a Messerschmitt Typhoon, a smart-looking four-passenger aircraft. Today I flew over Hamburg. A series of massed air attacks have almost destroyed this great city. The British by night, the Americans by day. I see great fires raging everywhere in a vast area of rubble. The death toll is estimated at 100,000. The horror of the scene makes a deep impression on me. The war is assuming some hideous aspects. July 27th, 1943. During a test flight, I learn I can fly my Gustav by putting my hand into a leather sling fitted over the stick. In the afternoon, I go up for a practice flight. Unfortunately, during this practice flight, Sergeant Karma crashes into the sea. Only a few days after coming out of the hospital as a result of the engine trouble. We see him go down, but are unable to help. The aircraft vanishes forever into the North Sea. July 28th, 1943. Concentrations in map reference sector Dora Dora again. That means action. I shall strap my hand on a control stick and fly. We take off with the 11 aircraft at 0835 hours. In the Heligoland area, we release our bombs, and the close flying formation is disorganized completely. The bomb dropped by Sergeant Fest explodes exactly in the center of a close flight of three heavy bombers together. All three go down, and more than 20 parachutes float in the air. Several of the others have obviously been damaged. I shout encouragement to my men, and now let's give them the works. We dive in formation, right into the Yanks. My men get carried away, and I hear calls from every side, after them, after them. I have a new aircraft with a 30mm cannon. It punches great holes in the fuselage of the fortress that I have picked as my victim. Together with Flight Sergeant Radatz, I open fire on another fortress. Radatz finishes it off when it tries to escape but then I see that one of the comrades is on fire. I draw alongside. It's Sergeant Höfing. Take it easy, Höfing, but keep cool. The long flame spread down his fuselage. Bail out now, Höfing. If you don't want your hide roasted, I call to the others to remain calm. Kramer would not have drowned yesterday if only he had kept his head. Then Höfing falls clear of the burning plane. He's caught by the slipstream and tosses high in the air. For 5,000 to 10,000 feet, he falls like a stone, then opens his parachute. I follow him down. Circling his parachute, Hufik waves and points downward. The sea awaits him. I radio a call to base for help. Little brother shut down in Ulrich Quelle 6. Parachute destined into sea. Notify rescue service. 
bass will pick up Hufik. For a long time he drifts through the air before finally landing on the water. Ten aircrafts land undamaged at 0950 hours. The mechanics carriers shoulder high from the aircraft over the dispersal point. They're completely overjoyed. And my ground crew chief offers his congratulations and for the sixth time makes me a ceremonial presentation of the same pot of flowers. The flight is in a state of wild enthusiasm. Pilots everywhere tell the story. Eleven victories to be added to our score on the board. Eleven heavy bombers will drop no more bombs on Hamburg. The rescue service will be busy fishing half a company of Americans out of the sea. And Hulig will be taking a cold dip in company with his colleagues from the other side. In the evening a rescue service aircraft brings him from the Heligoland where he had been landed with a crash boat load of Yanks. He is in high spirits, unhurt except for a slight burn on his forehead. Boy oh boy, what a shooting party, huh? Is all he says. Johnny Fest, Hörfig, is the hero of the day. He is credited with three heavy bombers on a single operation. We get phone calls arrive from the other flights congratulating us. I'm very proud of my fifth. In my own logbook, I entered a thirteenth on my score. Yes, this day will remain in our memories as a great shooting party. We'll finish this week by checking in on Flight Lieutenant David Nairn Blythe, our young, newly qualified RAF navigator, stationed out in Canada, and with his parents back in Edinburgh. Our first aircraft is from Julia, or Ma, and then we'll hear from David. 26th of July. Dear David, I was pleased to receive your aircraft the 18th. There's still a letter outstanding from the end of June, and an aircraft from your last station, but all of my other correspondence is addressed to Charlottetown. We're all looking forward to that photograph, and you know how glad we will be to receive the stockings. Now then, about Faye's wedding. It's all arranged for Saturday. Joan is a bridesmaid. As you can guess, she has to have a new dress, and Tommy's youngest brother will be best man. They are being married in church, but without the organ. Faye said the organist wanted to charge two pounds for such an occasion, so now you can guess why so many people like you to play for them. Aunt Phoenicia is having a tea for a few relations, including Dad and I. They were wishing you had been here, but you may be sure we will all be talking and thinking of you. Tommy is in the Royal Scots Fusiliers, and he is pleased he is with a Scottish regiment. Instead of buying a present, we gave Fay ten pounds, and last night she came down with a lovely pendant for Joan. Joan says she is more excited than Fay, as this is her first wedding too. Ian is expecting to be moved again soon. He gets around. Gran and all the folks here are well and send you their love. Joan had another parcel from New Zealand and her friend was asking kind before you and wondering if you needed anything. I must go now. Just the one page today. Love and good luck, Ma. 30th July. Dear Ma, Since writing to you last, I've received a number of aircrafts forwarded from my last station. Thank you very much, Ma. It all helps. 
I see from the end of July that I hadn't told you I'd received earlier letters. But the main thing is, I've got all your correspondence up to date and they make me feel so good. On becoming an officer, I'm compelled to stop the voluntary allotment which we were being paid while we were airmen, but I can start it again at any time. I hope that makes sense. You asked me about French Canadians once. Well, Montreal is full of them. Matt, I'm sending a parcel very soon. Some silk stockings, hopefully. Please don't think that I'm forgetting about Daddy. It's just I can't think for the life of me what to send him. He never seems to need anything. Anyway, Ma, I must go for now. There is always a course to attend and something new to learn here. Give my love to all the family. Your loving David. That's all for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. We do hope you found a little insight and were briefly entertained as we were reading Between the Lines. Between the Lines is a We Have Ways production. Julia Mar Blythe is read by Ruth Sillers. David Blythe is read by Matthew Malthouse. Oscar Griswold is read by Michael Lyons. Chester Hansen is read by Lance Fuller. Veer Hodgson is read by Rachel Holland. Heinz Knocker is read by Lucas Veschler. Bertie Packer is read by Paul Waggett. Jack Ward is read by Adam Jarrell. Harry Wilson is read by Joel Emery. Narration is by James Holland and Al Murray. Editing by John Gill and Joey McCarthy. Written and produced by Merrin Walters. The executive producer is Tony Pastor. Tony Pastor.